Welcome to An Amazingly Ordinary Life, the podcast that takes behind-the-scenes look at the world's special needs. I'm Sherry Tharp, an autism mom and your host. Join me each week as we share our lives, build community, and redefine normal. This is An Amazingly Ordinary Life, episode number 11. Today, we'll be hearing from Bree Smith as she shares about her son who has ADHD, oppositional defiance disorder, as well as a mood disorder. Bree, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Why don't we start with getting to know you? If you could just introduce your family and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Bree. I'm 31. I have a 10-year-old son. His name is Emmett. He is incredibly brilliant and just way beyond his years. And so he gets very bored really easily. So that's a little bit of a struggle. I'm also engaged to a lady named Kim. She's 33. She's amazing. She came into Emmett's life five years ago after I got divorced from my now ex-husband, which most people think is Emmett's biological father and is not. So Emmett's biological father has never been in the picture. He's not even on like the birth certificate or anything like that. And he's actually a drug addict. So I would prefer him to just stay, stay away. Keep his Um, distance. Yes. (laughs) But beyond that, my ex-husband was verbally and physically abusive to not only myself, but also to my son. And so we've been kind of dealing with that along with Emmett's other things going on with him. He was diagnosed with ADHD, which is impulsivity really, and hyperactivity where he just gets bored and just acts out impulsively. ODD is oppositional defiant disorder. So basically he's just defiant for absolutely no reason and is just, it can lead to combativeness, but it also really is just more of he wants it his way or it's no way and is going to be a very good lawyer one day, I feel like. (laughs) And then more recently, he was diagnosed with DMDD, which is a mood disorder. I don't remember what it actually stands for. Um, I think it's disruptive mood disorder, but there's another D in there. So I don't, I don't remember what that one stands for. But that just basically, he is kind of along the same lines of his impulsivity, but he cannot regulate his mood. So it's kind of similar to bipolar, but in children, it presents itself more as where he's just up and down. And like, if he's mad, he's going to be very, very angry and very aggressive. And then when he's happy, it's, you know, everything's fine. And it's just like a snap of the hat on that. So it really just kind of depends on what's happening and what's going on, but it's, it's hard to regulate a lot of the times. So he hits Uh, a lot of those extremes. Yes. Yeah. And he's actually been hospitalized three times. That's how we found out his original diagnosis. Two years ago, he had a very violent outburst. We started noticing it like a couple months prior to that. We had gone back up to my home state of Washington for a friend's wedding. And then when we shortly came back to Texas where we live, he just was having all these angry outbursts and just really hard regulating his emotions and trying to get him to calm down and they would last for hours. And there was a time where he was telling us that he wanted to kill us and kill himself and came at me with a hammer and actually headbutted me in the face. So we went to the hospital because I didn't know what else to do because I was like, well, I mean, my eight-year-old, which was how old he was at the time, 
you know, shouldn't be telling me that he wants to kill me or kill himself or anything like that. So with that being said, we went to the hospital, we got him medically cleared and he was referred to an inpatient mental health facility. That's where he was given the diagnosis of ADHD and ODD. And then from there, we were referred to his therapist that we go to weekly now. With the pandemic and everything, that kind of caused a little bit more of a rift. He is not very good with change. That's part of his mood. And also, just he just doesn't like change. He doesn't like moving. He doesn't like changing schools or anything like that. So when we had to do like televideo therapy sessions, that was very, very hard for him. He didn't want to participate and which that caused him to become more combative and violent and go and revert back to how it was before he was hospitalized again. So over quarantine, he was actually hospitalized two more times. There was one time where he was just telling us that he wanted to kill himself and kill us and wasn't as combative as the last time that he went where he actually headbutted me in the face and gave me a fat lip. And it was not a fun experience, but also like it it taught me a lot it taught me how to help regulate his emotions it it taught me more about what's going on with him and how i can better serve him and you know really just kind of be more in a schedule where he knows what to expect so that way we don't have this large up and down and since his last hospital stay We've actually, we've started play therapy, which his uh, current therapist thought would be better for him because he doesn't like being asked direct questions either. So (laughs) it's it's just kind of trying to find what works for him and how we can serve him the best and also not have to walk on eggshells in our own home. Right. Let me go back a little bit. You said he started getting aggressive around the age of eight. Yes. So was there anything up to that point that any red flags or anything you thought maybe something was different, something was going on? Not really. A lot of it, I feel like stemmed from past trauma. Like I said, my ex-husband was mentally and physically abusive to not only myself and to Emmett, but a lot of it had to do with me working outside the home. So when I was in my previous relationship with my ex-husband, I was the breadwinner. I was the person that went to work. My ex-husband was a stay-at-home dad. And a lot of that trauma happened while I was at work. And so a lot of it is a little bit more of like PTSD, according to his therapist, because it started up again when I was going back to work. And so we had just taken this vacation and I didn't, I didn't quite understand. Like I knew that he was always kind of like hyper and, you know, always wanted to do stuff. And when we first moved to Texas, I was a stay at home mom. I was that for a year until I went and started training at my local gym. And then shortly there after we got back from that vacation was when I was working more and I wasn't home during the day. And so that kind of sparked everything where he didn't feel like he was in control. And so when I was home, everything was fine because, you know, he had me, he knew that he could count on me. And then when I suddenly went back to work, he didn't feel like he was in control anymore. And so again, he doesn't like change. And so that kind of all sparked it. And so with that being said, I have made the decision to be home now and be home for him. So that way we don't have those outbursts. And since I've done that, it hasn't really been an issue because he knows what to expect. 
I know you said he headbutted you and came after you with a hammer. Did his aggression and violence ever manifest toward other people? Yes. So he would hit and kick my fiance and he would punch things like walls and things like that. And when I was at work, if he had an angry outburst, he was normally with my fiance's parents. And so I don't believe he ever like hit or kicked them, but he would throw things at them. He would act out and be very angry and just say not very nice things to them and yell and scream at them. So it just more, I think, is him trying to feel like him being in control and when he feels out of control he gets very angry and that is not easy for him to come down from right has this presented any problems at school boredom so because, <laughs> yeah because he is so because he loves school which is uncommon for ADHD kids they generally don't like school he loves learning new things he loves meeting new people but he gets bored in class very easily and is disruptive when he's bored so especially this last year he would disrupt class more often when there was a substitute teacher again because it was not his normal thing but also he would say that his math teacher talked too much and i'm like well that's her job <laughs> it is to talk and to teach you things just because you are above you know your grade level in <laughs> In anything that you do doesn't mean that the teacher doesn't need to talk. So we've just been trying to get him into either like a higher grade where he might be able to skip fifth grade or just like the advanced learning classes so he doesn't get bored as easily because that is when the disruption happens. I know you mentioned that he has been doing therapy. Hmm. Has he had to be on any medications or anything? Yes, there's several different ones. We use guanfazine for his ADHD. And during his last medical state, they did take the guanfazine away because it can cause more aggression, even though it's a non-stimulant. But we've recently tried to add it back in. With his mood stabilizer that he also takes, it's called Depakote Sprinkles, which I find to be a very funny term to call something. But apparently you can sprinkle it on food and they can take it that way if it's something that they can't swallow because it's kind of a a larger pill and then he also takes something for anxiety in the evening I never can pronounce what it's called <laughs> an H but it's a small white pill but I don't remember exactly what it's called he, he takes that at bedtime to help him sleep and with anxiety so so what kind of therapies has he um been able to use throughout the couple years we were referred to his therapist, Cindy. She was just a behavioral therapist. And so we tried that for a little while. She, you know, would play games with him and stuff like that. But going down the road, it was just, she wasn't being able to get through to him again. Cause she was, you know, like I try to make it fun, but at the end of the day, he does not like being asked direct questions and there's only so much I can do in this type of environment. And so she referred us to another lady in her office, which is a certified play therapist. So he actually has not been able to go to her except for our first consultation visit, just because we were actually exposed to someone that tested positive for COVID. So we had to take the last two sessions off, but we will do that on Wednesday. And so basically what she'll do with him is just play games and have him play Legos and things like that and try to squeeze in a few questions to kind of dive deeper into the trauma that he's experienced and how to help kind of like regulate his emotions and how to cope with things. 
Can you tell me the events, the circumstances that led up to his first hospitalization? Okay, so we had gone up to Washington to visit and to go to a friend's wedding. Before that, we noticed a little bit of a change in him where he was just getting like more frustrated more easily and was just having kind of trouble following and doing certain tasks when asked the first time. And we thought it was just a normal like kid not wanting to do stuff, right? And so when we got back from Washington from that visit, we were noticing that he was getting more aggressive and more violent where he would be punching walls, punching us, kidding, by fighting, kicking. We weren't able to calm him down. So it would Mm -hmm. last for several hours. And then one night it was just like way over the top. It had already lasted probably about a good four hours. He was saying that he didn't want to be here anymore, that he wanted to kill us Mm -hmm. and kill himself. And at one point I had gotten up, I think to go to the bathroom or something, and then came back and he had gotten up and got the hammer and took it and acted like he wanted to hit me with it. So my fiance was able to get it from him and I was able to kind of like grab onto him. And then at that point he had butted me. And so we didn't know what else to do. So we just took him to the ER and we're like, you know, we, we don't know what to do. And so they medically cleared him. We were there. Overnight, we got there, I think, at like 10 p.m., and we didn't leave until 9 a.m. the next day, so we were there for almost 12 hours, Mm -hmm. and then we had a three-hour drive to the first hospital stay, because that was the one place that had a bed open that could take him, and they took children and things like that. So that's where he was diagnosed with ADHD. They did diagnose him with the children's bipolar disorder, but his therapist did remove that because she thought he was experiencing more of ODD symptoms versus bipolar because they don't really like to give that diagnosis to people under the age of 21 anyway. But I don't remember what the abbreviation for that one was. How many times has he been hospitalized since then? He has been hospitalized since then twice. So that's why we were trying to like more regulate his medicine, but also regulate what happened inside of the home with like me coming home from work, which was a little bit easier anyway because of the quarantine because I worked at a gym and gyms were closed. But both times that I had to go up to the gym because, you know, we were anticipating opening. Those are the times that he was hospitalized. Mm. Yeah, this whole pandemic and being stuck at home is tough. On the one hand, it's nice to be able to spend more time with our kids. But on the other hand, man, it screws up their routines and structure. You kind of touched on it before, but how is he handling that? With me being home, it's a lot easier. So we have a few different things in place. Because he was being hospitalized so much over quarantine, we were actually talking about a long-term facility because he was having trouble even following simple tasks like me asking him to brush his teeth or take Mm. a shower. So with that being said, his therapist suggested that you know, maybe we should look into long-term care. So I talked to one of my friends that worked in that long-term care facility and was like, well, maybe we could just make home more like a long-term care facility. Mm -hmm. So then that way, maybe we can avoid that. I don't want him out of my house for a week, let alone (laughs) six months here. And so with that being said, I made it a schedule where we you know, wake up at a certain time every day. We do a chore, we eat breakfast at a certain time. We have rec therapy, which is just 
going outside and, you know, practicing his baseball, which he loves, or throwing the football around or going swimming or doing some sort of physical activity. Because when he is physically active, he actually has less energy to be aggressive, yes. <laughs> which is amazing. And something that I didn't really put two and two together, which is funny because I teach physical fitness classes. So I was like, well, huh, okay, that makes sense. And so we do that three times a day. When he was in school, we had a time for homework and things like that. So we just kind of make sure that it's regulated. And then we also use this thing called an angry iceberg. It is, we all know an iceberg is what you see out of the water, right? But there's way more below it. And so we utilize that to kind of figure out what he's actually feeling when he's feeling angry, whether it's like embarrassment, disappointment, frustration, anything that's in the iceberg. So we try to utilize that when he does get angry, but we don't talk to him while he's up here. So we have to speak to him when he's already calmed down. So we usually just, okay, so we understand that you're feeling that way. We're going to go over here and let you calm down. And then we're going to use the angry iceberg to try and figure out why we were actually feeling that way. Don't break any property. You can go upstairs and into your room and you're welcome to punch your bed. You're welcome to punch your pillow. You can scream into your pillow, but do not damage any property. Otherwise you'll get, you know, more privileges taken away. And we do also utilize a points system. And so that is actually based on um, what they do inside of a long-term care facility. So if they have a certain amount of points, they're on green. And so that would give you the most privileges. And then each layer down takes the, you know, the highest privilege away. So right now he's on green. He doesn't lose points ever, but he does miss out on opportunities to earn them. Like earlier okay. when I had to go upstairs and he decided to, you know, say no or, you know, I don't have to or anything like that. He missed out on an opportunity to earn extra points where he could stay on green. So if he doesn't earn them later on in today, he may not be on green tomorrow. He may be on yellow or orange or something like that. So he has to earn 20 to 24 points to remain on green, but he has to earn them every single day. If he doesn't, then he gets knocked down and cannot be, let's say the iPad is on green and that's the highest one. If he gets knocked down to yellow, which is the second highest one, the iPad's taken off, but he can still do the other things that he would normally get to do on green. Yeah, that's a good system. Tell me, out of all the things you've dealt with, because it's only been what, two years? Yes. What has been the hardest thing in dealing with all this? What's been your biggest struggle? Is it getting services or just trying to figure out where he's coming from? What's been the hardest part for you? I think really understanding where he's coming from and why he's taking it out on us. And then also to, he takes a lot of things out on my fiance and will blame her for things such as if I ask him to, brush his teeth. Well, Kim's not brushing her teeth. I don't have to. Or like he will blame if I am like, look, buddy, it's time for dinner. It's time to get off the iPad. Well, you're only saying that because Kim just walked in. Well, I'm saying it's because it's dinner time. Like I'm, I need <laughs> to chill out. And so he'll blame her for things. And so she takes that really personally. Mm. And so 
she feels like he doesn't love her or that he doesn't want her to be here and things like that. So it's been a real struggle, especially for her. And then having us like talk about it, she still feels that way when I go to her and I'm like, look, like we can't, we can't take it personally. And she's like, well, I'm not you. I can't just get over it. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to get over it. I'm just asking you to understand that even when you're angry, you're feeling certain things underneath the angry iceberg too. So we all try to utilize the same tools that we use for him so we can kind of all recognize our own feelings. And so he's not the only one. So he doesn't feel, you know, single. Right. And so I think just really dealing with it as a family and trying to make sure that we all are having the same or we all have our own like self-care routine to make sure that we are all feeling good and making sure that we're all on the same page. So I think just really honestly, just going through it instead of just going through the motions and just dealing with everything along the way has been the biggest struggle. So having to deal with the new diagnoses and his aggression and everything, does that put any kind of strain on your family relationships or your social life or anything? I mean, it does a little bit. I feel like not a lot of my friends really understand or like see it because when we do go out in public, Emmett generally doesn't act like that. And so they don't understand what goes on inside of our own household. And then, I mean, sometimes he does throw temper tantrums outside of the home, but they don't last nearly as long and they're not nearly as aggressive. So I think people or like my friends and family, I feel like sometimes feel like we're overreacting about something Mm -hmm. when really they just don't know like the whole picture. And I think just honestly for me, like it's the prejudgments of others that I kind of struggle with. And so dealing with that, I think is the hardest thing because it's not always going to be the way it is here. And it's not always going to be the way it is, you know, with our friends and family. If we do do something with our friends and family, I try and make sure it's an engaging activity or something where he is physically active. So it is easier for him to have a good time. It's easier for us to have a good time where it's not where he gets bored and then wants to act out. Right. Yeah. I find that that's, pretty true across the board that our kids are always better behaved out in public. And I think it's just because home is that safe place where they know that they can let loose and like they can let everything out. And it's, it's an okay place to, to do that because it's family, it's home. Again, it's that safe space. And even family who is close and supportive and everything, they never see it at its worst. It just seems like they may think they know what's going on, but they don't. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a little bit easier for people, I think, to understand when he headbutted me and gave me that fat lip because I went live on my social media and I was like, look, okay, like I'm not, I'm not overreacting. This is what happened and it does suck, but he's getting the help that he needs and we're getting the support that we need. And I'm very much like... I want to be involved as much as I possibly can with his treatment. So then that way I can help regulate it and support it at home. And I've, 
I've talked to his therapist about that. And she tells me that the majority of parents and people that bring their children there, that 90% of them don't actually do that. So there is not any support in the home. So they're kind of staying at this like one level at therapy and then it goes downhill from there because there is no added support at home. So maybe, you know, parents just need more support and more education. And maybe it's just something that I can better do now that I'm at home to help support other parents to, you know, be like, look, this is what helped us the most. Right. Maybe try it for yourself and see if it helps for you. Yeah, that's exactly why I want to have people like you on here too, because it's super, super important and so critical to continue all those therapies and techniques that our kids have learned. You have to support them at home as well, or it's not going to do any good. If you're not consistent 24-7, you're losing something along the way and they're not going to make the progress that they should. And they're going to learn, this is what we do at therapy, but that's not what we do at home. And of course, it's hard to keep up. It's hard. You just spend two hours at therapy and then you have to come home and do it all over again. And especially when they're siblings or you work full time or dad's busy or whatever the case may be, it's hard to commit to do that. But then if you don't, you're doing your child a disservice in not providing them the support and that structure they need to be successful. Exactly. And that's one reason why I did choose to come home because, you know, as much as I love my in-laws, I know that my schedule that I have wouldn't be consistently followed. And mm -hmm. that's okay. Like he spent this last weekend over there. Neither one of those days were on schedule. But when we got home, he knew that he was going to be back on that schedule. So I feel like even just having that as a reinforcement, like, look, like we can go off schedule, but even still, if we go off schedule one to two days, we're still going to go back to it. We're still right. going to have that consistency. And there are days where I'm not as consistent as I would like to be. And those aren't, you know, the best days. But as soon as we get back on that consistent schedule, it's good for a while. Yeah, so that's, that's I, so important. Exactly. So tell me what has been the hardest moment so far, the darkest moment, the moment that just really you felt like this was the lowest point in having to deal with all of this. I think honestly, every single time that he had to be hospitalized, I knew that he was getting the support that he needed. And I knew that we were going to come out of it okay. And that we were going to be better equipped to serve him better. But it's never easy to send your child somewhere, especially when it's a hospital uh, during a pandemic when we cannot go and visit. We can mm -hmm. call, but it was very rare that we were able to actually speak to him. He also is not one to like to talk on the phone either. And so that was hard. And then also too, I think with that, it's pretty much tied with, you know, telling us that he wanted to kill us or kill himself. You never want to hear your child say that. And that was, I think, a lot harder than anything else. Sending him away and then being told that he wanted to kill us or kill himself or both. So Yeah, that my son, he's 19 and he's expressed that he went to kill himself before and nothing prepares you for that. Now, I believe that we are universally bad at self-care as moms and especially as moms of special needs kids. But is there anything you do to recharge when everything is just so overwhelming or you're stressed out or whatever? How do you step back to make sure you can keep going? 
So I'm actually a huge advocate for self-care because I know how important it is. And when I don't get it, I know that I get way more overwhelmed and I lash out at my family and I don't set the best example when I don't get it myself. And so I practice it on a daily basis, actually. It helps that I work in the health and wellness industry. So I feel like that to me is a huge part of self-care is like you know, working out, eating right and things like that. But it is something that you have to make time for and to create a routine for. So for me, it didn't happen today because I wanted to sleep in, but I wake up generally between 5 and 5.30 every single morning. I meditate for 10 minutes. I make sure I brush my teeth. I get dressed. And then I work out from 6 to 6.30. Move my body for at least 30 minutes a day. I also... I'm also trying to lose weight. So um, that helped me stick on this self-care routine. But I know that my body does better when I eat more vegetables. So whenever I go grocery shopping, that is primarily what we buy is vegetables. I'll get some meat and protein and stuff like that. But we also don't usually buy any unhealthy snacks. Um, so what I found is that your kids are going to eat what you have for them and what you eat. So I try to model that behavior as much as possible. I will get Emmett maybe one or two treats a week, but outside of that, we eat celery and hummus for snacks. We eat carrots and hummus for snacks. He absolutely loves carrots. I generally don't get carrots because he eats the entire bag um, all the time. <laughs> so I just make sure that you know we're fueling our bodies with the proper things. And then I also recently started going to therapy myself. So I... I'm fine with teletherapy, whereas my fiance is not. She just started doing therapy herself. And I feel like normalizing therapy for adults should be something that is talked about because we all need somebody to talk to. We all need an outsider's perspective and having that in a clinical setting where it's not just your friend, where they're going to have a bias because they're your friend and having somebody outside of that to actually talk to and, you know, be able to help you deal with your emotions and help you regulate yourself before you try and regulate somebody else is very, very important. So I just focus on doing it every single day. Also, I do a lot of personal development. So I read a lot of self-help books. I used to actually think that they were like woo-woo and like not, <laughs> not something I ever really wanted to read, but I have developed a really fondness for them. That is the only type of book I ever buy now. Typically I'll get it on audible so I can listen to it while I'm doing something else, but I will sit down and read at least 10 pages at least three times a week. So then that way I can just fill my cup before I try and fill anybody else's. Do you have a favorite book? Actually untamed by Glennon Doyle. I just finished it. It is amazing. So I would definitely recommend that one. All right. So tell me, what are some of your favorite moments with Emmett? The ones that you just hang on to that fill your heart with joy and you just keep going back to those moments. So anytime that he asks me if Kim can be his baseball coach, so he really wants to be a pitcher. And so anytime he asks me specifically about Kim, which Kim is my fiance, I hold on to those 
as much as I possibly can, especially because she feels like he thinks that she's the root of all evil, but he adores her. He, he tells me multiple times that he gets all of his athletic ability from her. <laughs> that's not really how that works, but okay, that's perfectly fine. I guess my 20 years of softball experience mean <laughs> nothing, whatever, it's cool. And so with that being said, just any time that he's like, well, can Kim pitch me? Um, can Kim be my coach or anything like that? So that is my top one because I'm just like, oh, he loves her. He really loves her. <laughs> um, or like when he's like, well, I want to say goodnight to Kim. Okay, you go ahead. Because I'm not going to force a relationship. I want them to build it naturally. And they used to be really good like buddies and like they would do a lot of stuff together. And I was over here being chopped liver. And then everything started happening and he was blaming everything on her and was mm -hmm. very angry with her. We found out that that's more or less to do with like the PTSD from my ex-husband than it okay. really has to do with Kim. And so now they're, they're kind of rebuilding their relationship. And so those moments are really precious to me. And then also whenever he dances or sings or tells me that he wants to be a rapper or that he's going to be a famous TikToker and that he can make me famous on TikTok, anything like that where he's <laughs> expressing himself in a positive way that makes him happy, I live for those moments. He very much enjoys dancing. I can see him dancing in the background. <laughs> I love it. Um, as well as making people laugh. So that's one thing that I absolutely love about him. He is never afraid to be himself. We go grocery shopping and he dances along the aisles. And it just, that to me is, I think my favorite part of this journey is just allowing him to be himself and to be a kid. And yeah. I feel like a lot of times we feel like we have to regulate them all the time. And that's what I was doing in the beginning. And it caused a lot more harmed and it did good. And so with that being said, like, I feel like just allowing him the opportunity to be himself more often and just express himself the way that he feels comfortable has helped a lot. Well, good. When he is like absolutely 100% himself and is just like content with being himself. Cause I never want him to feel like he has to water down himself to mm -hmm. be with anybody else and I never want to try and water down myself so I'm trying to lead by example with that so I just whenever he's you know doing his thing it's my favorite <laughs> I love that I love that and I love that you're that you're teaching him to just embrace who he is and and go with that thank you okay so one last question before we close for anybody out there who is just kind of starting out on the special needs journey, whether it's ADHD or ODD or autism or Down syndrome or whatever the diagnosis may be, what would you say to these parents who are new in the trenches and, you know, like I said, just getting started, what advice or encouragement would you like to give to them? I would honestly say, make sure that you have a good support system for yourself because you cannot help anybody else if you're not helping yourself first, kind of like putting your own mask on when the plane is crashing before you put anybody else's mask on first. If your cup is empty, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. So definitely make sure that you have a support system. I found some Facebook groups that I really like, and there's broader spectrum Facebook groups and there's smaller ones that are more geared towards like autism or things like that. 
but having that support system, making sure that you have a self-care routine. And even if it's just sitting in the bathtub for 10 minutes at the end of your day, when, you know, everybody's in bed or just taking time and making time for yourself. And then also to making sure that, you know, you're really taking what they're teaching at therapy. If you guys are going to therapy, if you're not going to therapy, I highly recommend therapy, but taking those teachings and bringing them home just to make sure that you're not only helping support your child, but also you're supporting the rest of the family too, because there's way more information and skills and things that you learn at therapy than just about your child and utilizing those resources. I don't know if this happens at every therapist's office, but at ours, there is a therapist that works with Emmett. There's a therapist that works with the parents. And then there's a therapist that works with both of us to kind of help bring it home. So then that way, if he did have siblings, we would be able to, you know, help his siblings, you know, deal with that or, you know, just help us deal with it. And, you know, if you're all on the same page, it helps for a more cohesive unit. So then that way you guys can work together instead of kind of bumping heads. Cause that is oftentimes what I've found when I'm talking to other moms about it is that they're finding that everybody's bumping heads because they're not all on the same page. They don't all know how to deal with it. They don't all know how to help regulate the emotion and then come to, you know, a common ground. Mm -hmm. And so I think just more education on that and helping support one another as a whole family. So good. Such good advice. I love that. Uh, Bree, thank you so much for coming on here. You had, so many good things to share and so much that everybody can take home with them I feel so thank you thank you thank you for having me I really appreciate it and I hope that it helps whoever listens to this and I honestly I can't wait to hear any of the other speakers that you have on as well I'd like to thank everyone for listening today. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode at amazingtheordinarylife.com slash podcast If you enjoyed the show, I would love it if you left a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. As always, I would love to hear your story. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at my website or you can email me at amazingtheordinary at yahoo.com. And don't miss next week's episode where we'll talk with Jackie Ruck about her son who has level one autism as well as being a stage four cancer survivor. I hope you'll join me then.